Hello and welcome to Downsizing, the show that's a tangled web of intrigue and mystique, mostly because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and I'm hard to understand. I'm your host, hopeless romantic, Tim Down. First and foremost, gang, we've got ourselves uh, in a downward trend. Oh yes, last week, as you may recall, I careened into a nice, even 273 pounds, which is a 5 pound gain from the week before. This week, I weighed in at 270 pounds. We're back in business. Well, business from three months ago, so still not ideal, but holy shit, my cat just jumped onto my fucking computer. Walter, what the fuck are you, Jesus Christ. Gotta chill out, man. Holy fuck. Okay, that was fucking crazy. Um, he just somehow typed 89. <laughs> okay. Um, wow, that was v- incredibly alarming. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, okay. So I, that's a three pound loss. Okay, he's fucking whipped up. He might jump up again. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, but yeah, uh, I gained the system a little bit. Um, uh, I had a small dinner the night before I weighed in. I also went to the gym. Um, I wore long pants that I used to wear for running in the winter and uh, a hoodie, hoodie, a hoodie, um, to make myself sweat as much as possible, sort of like, you know, lose water weight. And I think I might make a habit of that, you know, treat my weigh-ins like a, a UFC fighter and you know, dehydrate myself as much as possible leading up to Saturday, then gain it all back by Sunday. It's one of the more healthy aspects of MMA. Now, normally when I go to the gym, uh, I work out each muscle once. So one bicep exercise, one chest exercise, maybe a, a few leg exercises, plus cardio. Because for a long time, I didn't know how often I'd be able to go to the gym. So I didn't want to just, you know, work out my arms with the intent of going back to do other muscle groups and never get to them and neglect those parts of my body. So I do a teeny bit for each one. And when I say a teeny bit, I was still feeling it. It's not like I was standing there doing back rows with five pound dumbbells, but still, I think I'm going to make some changes. This was inspired in part by a workout I had on Wednesday with my friend who in the past on the show I've referred to as the psycho burpee friend. We went to his gym for a cheeky little chest day uh, and I fucked myself up. Now, I don't think I've actually done any bench presses at all since I was like 16. Um, I worked out my chest, but not like that. And we did uh, eight reps of something, some kind of weight, then 20 reps with dumbbells, then heavier weight for a few reps, 20 more reps with the dumbbells, heavier weight, 20 more reps, back down to lightweight, 20 reps, and so on. So two rounds in, I'm like, wow, that was a that was a great workout. I, I guess we're done. And then we went over to another bench, but this one was at an angle. And we did the same thing over and over and over. And then we went and did the pec flies over and over and over. Uh, and as we were walking on the treadmill at the end, sort of cooled down, it became clear to me that I haven't been working out. I've been lifting weights, sure. I've been doing a bit of cardio, 
but I haven't been working out. I, my chest was so sore, I felt like I was going to have to drive home using my knees. So on Friday, when I went to the gym, I decided I was going to just work out my legs. Everyone skips leg day, apparently, so I'm going to lean into it and turn my legs into concrete pillars. And I had a great workout. I had a great time, even. It felt really good to, you know, push myself. One thing that didn't feel great was negotiating the stairs on my way out of the gym. It was like 30 steps to get to the ground floor and to the exit, and I had a bad case of the noodle legs. My shins were just straight up udon, so I felt like I was going to take a nice tumble on the way down. You know, uh, I think they should really install those chair lifts that old people have on the steps going up to the gym. You know, just to get yourself up and down. I think it'd be a big help. Uh, one problem I'm having, though, is um, I feel like the more I learn about working out and like fitness in general, the less I know. Like before... I was like, cool, I'll go do some cardio, lift some weights, and boom, done. But now there's all this conflicting information about whether or not you should do cardio at all, lift weights before you do cardio, or if you should work out on an empty stomach, or eat a bunch of little meals throughout the day, or a few regular meals. I mean, it's like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. Only instead of making all of the sides the same color, you're cross-referencing what one non-doctor gym guy is saying, with what another non-doctor gym guy is saying. I just go with whoever calls the most people an idiot and kind of go from there. Uh, but much like eating, like with eating better, um, I'm taking this all very slow. I'm not doing deadlifts. I'm not doing 400-pound squats. I'm not even interested in what my one-rep maxes are. Although that last one is kind of interesting to me. Actually, um, I mean, some sources I found say that you should be working out at uh, 70% of your one rep max weight for a, a given muscle group, which, okay, you know, fine, I can get behind that. But, but I mean, how do you go about finding your one rep max? Like, do you just lift increasingly heavier weights until you just go, ah, and then you've, you've found it when you can't lift anymore? You know, these are the kinds of basic, dumbass questions I hope to have answered in my tenure at YouTube University. Um, this may be the most I've talked about fitness or working out for quite some time on the podcast. Um, it is ostensibly about my own fitness, but I think we've established that I'd much rather just be distracted and scatterbrained for 30 minutes. I think that's my brand pretty much at this point. Um, now, to just pivot away from fitness completely... Uh, I've been on a mission for the past few days, going on a week. Um, you see, my girlfriend's friend has a wedding coming up, and we're both going to go. Now, I do have a suit, but I can't remember if it fits me when I'm more fat or more thin. But either way, you know, it's a black suit, and I feel like being a little drippy. So I've been looking for a suit that's a bit more, you know, stylish. And for some reason, I've had it in my head that I want to get a green suit, like a nice dark forest green. I think it'd be quite fetching. Uh, the problem is, it's incredibly hard to find one. Green suits just aren't that popular. I've gone into probably 10 different suit stores at this point, and I found a few green suits, but none that fit quite what I'm looking for. You know, like they're all a shade that's essentially like used car salesman from the 90s green uh, 
Um, one other issue is that I really have no idea what my suit size is. It's like 15 different measurements and my body is in a constant state of like flux. So ordering online is going to be a bit challenging. Um, also, one of the salespeople I spoke to pointed something out that I really, I should have probably thought about quite a while ago. Um, I walked in and right away she said she loved my red hair. And of course, flattery works on me. So I giggled coquettishly. And when I said I was looking for a green suit, she said, oh, for the luck of the Irish. And that's when it clicked. I would be a redhead wearing an all green suit. I'd be dressed like a leprechaun. I I don't know how that never clicked. Uh, I still really want a green suit, but given the wedding is in two weeks, I think I'm pretty short on options. Um, The wedding is also apparently open bar, which I fully intend to take advantage of. Um, I'm putting a lot of effort into getting in shape, but an open bar is not something you just pass up. Uh, That weekend is also the weekend that uh, Beer Fest is supposed to be taking place, which I've said all along that I will break the rules for. So uh, what I'm saying is after that weekend, I'm going to be a fucking mess. Uh, I'm definitely going to need some dry cleaning done after that weekend, either from throwing up on myself or from just sweating through my blazer. Both I'd say are equally likely. And now I think about it, the last time I had a cheat weekend is when I completely fucked my progress off course. So I may be looking at another setback. Maybe I'll just do like half pints. Uh, In other news, uh, I brought my cat to get fixed this week, which honestly I feel kind of bad about, you know, like as a a fellow testicle haver, uh, it feels weird, you know, getting his taken away from him. I feel like I did him dirty a little bit. And to be honest, I thought that he would kind of, you know, be like a bit lethargic and out of it when I went to bring him back home after the surgery. Because it's a pretty big surgery. Or it would be if it was happening to me. But when I picked him up, he was completely normal. He seemed like he really didn't give a shit at all. Which, you know, maybe that's a side effect of having his balls taken away. Uh, And because of where... Uh, the shelter we got him from is located. We had to do all. We have to do all of his like initial healthcare stuff at a vet in Richelieu. For those of you not from Quebec or who grew up in the West Island, Richelieu is about an hour drive from Montreal. It's like southeast of the island, um, and because of their hours, I had to drive him there on a Monday and come pick him up the next day, uh, which is you know a nice four hours in total driving. But on the way there, I was sure that he shit in his travel carrier, like 100% sure. Because at one point, it smelled so strongly of cat shit that I thought there was just no way that he didn't. But I looked through his carrier and I couldn't see anything at all. So I was a bit puzzled. But then the next day, when I came to come pick him up just by myself, um, almost the second I entered Richelieu, the cat shit smell came back, which settles it. I mean, Richelieu just straight up smells like cat shit. And I'd apologize for saying that. But even according to the vet who is from there, hardly anyone there speaks English. So it's unlikely that they're listening. And if they are listening, well, I mean, I don't care. Uh, Make your town smell better. So going forward, I'm going to keep up with the working out, focusing on specific muscle groups at a time. Uh, I'm also going to get in touch with a nutritionist to get some more, you know, solid, direct information. 
Um, apparently they were supposed to call me weeks and weeks ago, but I haven't gotten any call, which feels pretty typical about, you know, from my experience with healthcare, to be honest, I mean, you get what you pay for. Uh, speaking of, I feel like the end is in sight with resolving the TV issues. Um, at this point, I'm just trying to get someone who is allowed to say yes or no, because by design with customer service over the phone or email, you don't get to speak to those people directly, at least not right away, but I'm persisting. There's a, a non-zero chance that I'll, I'll get a cut and dry no, and then I'll just completely fold emotionally. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, uh, that's going to be it for the first half this week. We'll get to a topic in the second half, but first, we have a word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, consumers are making a significant amount of their purchases online. Whether it's groceries, medication, or recreational items, the online marketplace has exploded in the past few years, and especially within the last year during the pandemic. And times are tough. So many people are doing everything they can to save money. Sure, you've heard you can find promo codes, but where? How are you supposed to even find one code, never mind one for each and every purchase you make? And you don't have to, thanks to this week's sponsor. This week's episode of Downsizing is brought to you by Syrup. Syrup is the number one way to save you money when shopping online. Sure, you could turn to services that scrounge through the internet looking for a coupon for a few dollars off if you're a popper. Why waste your time and, more importantly, your money when you don't have to? Simply download Syrup into your browser, and when you go to checkout, it will search through the website for someone else's credit card information, making your purchase absolutely free. How can you compete with free? You can't. That's how. You might be wondering, how does this work? Is this even legal? Well, stop wondering. For a limited time, my listeners can receive three months of Syrup's premium membership at absolutely free. A Syrup membership guarantees that your own information will never be used by another Syrup customer, ensuring that you get the most out of your savings. So what are you waiting for? Use my code DOWNFORSYRUP at checkout to take advantage of this limited time offer. Syrup. Save your money. Use someone else's. Okay, folks. Welcome back. Take a seat. This week, uh, we're going to discuss something that's relatively new to me, but has been around for some time. Pre-workouts. Um, now, ever since I've started looking up topics related to health and fitness, um, all the memes that pop up in my social media now are chock full of gym bros talking about gains, uh, dudes maxing out the weight on workout machines, and pre-workouts. Um, and I've come to learn that some of you out there are some stim-addicted freaks, but we'll get to that. We'll also talk about the history of pre-workouts and uh, whether or not they're actually uh, effective. Now, I'll give you a hint. For the most part, they're essential oils for bro scientists. Oh, and um, for those of you that don't know uh, what they are, pre-workouts are supplements taken before workout to help you work out stronger, harder, better, faster, stronger. I think that's a song. Uh, I, think <laughs> I think I meant to do that in the rhythm of the song, but then I, I panicked and forgot forgot how it goes okay anyway i should have done is there like a pre-workout for your brain like i don't know a good education <laughs> oh boy okay pre-workouts um they're usually a powder mixed in water but i think you can also get some in like a capsule form or like a like a pill form or something um 
they're kind of like a cross between crystal light and crystal meth. Um, but let's take a look back, shall we, to, to where this all started. So somewhat unsurprisingly, pre-workouts are a pretty new thing. Um, they more or less coincide with a shift in workout culture towards bodybuilding in like the mid to late 20th century. Uh, I've already talked about the history of gyms and, and working out in a previous episode, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on it um, the way I would with an antidote, an, uh, antidote, with an anecdote I've told seven times already. Um, I will just touch base with one of our friends from that episode, um, Eugen Sandow. Um, Sandow, of course, is widely considered to be the father of modern bodybuilding. He did everything. He, you know, lift heavy weights, perform feats of strength, make porn. He's a real renaissance man. Now, obviously, we can't know exactly how he felt about pre-workouts since they didn't exist in the early 20th century. However, we do know that he was firmly against drinking coffee and saw it as bad for your body, never mind your workouts. So if he knew what was in modern pre-workouts, I imagine he'd feel the same way uh, an abstinence preacher would feel about the concept of feet picks. Although now that I think of it, are feet picks allowed if you're practicing abstinence? I think that's probably allowed as a technicality. I mean, most of the people practicing abstinence are just straight up having sex anyway. You know, it's like, it's like when my vet told me to keep Walter from running or jumping after he got fixed. I mean, yeah, like, I'll tell him, but it doesn't mean he's not going to do that. I mean, it's a bit ironic comparing abstinence to my cat getting his balls removed, but I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, So as time went on, people's attitudes began to to shift towards stimulants. Um, What? I don't even, I think I went into a fugue state just now when I said that. Because I think I said it right, but I think I feel like I didn't say it right. It's shocking that I was able to say that last bit, but not the really easy sentence. (laughs) Boys, it's not even late. It's not even like I'm recording this at like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. It's 10 o'clock, you know? I'm just saying. (sighs) You know what I think it is? I actually got enough sleep last night, and usually that fucks me. I don't know if my body just like... Like, you know, like if you're at work and you're like alone in your department and it's really shitty, but you get used to it and then you can like, you kind of get to where you're good at it and you can make it work. But then all of a sudden they give you like four people to help you out and it fucks everything up. I think that's how my body feels about sleep. Like normally I get like, you know, six hours of sleep and I do great. I'm, you know, I'm awake. I'm alert. Get a lot of shit done. Go to the gym for a couple hours. I'm fine. If I get eight or nine hours of sleep, it's fucking game over. I'm not doing anything. I think I do better on like four hours of sleep than I do on nine hours of sleep, which is probably just adrenaline and a ton of caffeine. But anyway, as I was saying, as time went on, people's attitudes uh, began to shift. Um, as far as, you know, towards the ideas about stimulants or caffeine, I guess. Um, and certain bodybuilders would drink coffee before or during their workout. Um, later on, people would also take niacin, sort of in like the 70s and early 80s, which is a form of vitamin B. And they took it because one of its effects is that it enlarges your blood vessels, which uh, allows for greater pump. Now, of course, I could describe to you what pump is but why would i 
when I could play a classic clip of everyone's favorite politician, Arnold Schwarzenegger. The greatest feeling you can get in a gym or the most satisfying feeling you can get in the gym is the pump. Let's say you train your biceps, blood is rushing into your muscles and that's what we call the pump. Your muscles get a really tight feeling, like your skin is going to explode any minute. You know, it's really tight. It's like somebody blowing air into, into your muscle. It just blows up and it feels different. It feels fantastic. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is, you know, as uh, having sex with a woman and coming. And so can you believe how much I am in heaven? I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym, I'm getting the feeling of coming at home, I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose out in front of 5,000 people, I get the same feeling. So I'm coming day and night. Yeah. Uh, remind me never to go to the same gym as Arnold. Uh, the guy's coming all over the place. Uh, and by the way, where was he working out? Fucking Twin Peaks? Was he doing like deadlifts in the Black Lodge? I mean, that's such a bizarre music choice. Fucking Angelo Badalamente scoring fucking pumping iron. It's a real specific reference for a bunch of you. Uh, Why am I acting like Twin Peaks isn't popular? Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's the pump. Um, And because niacin temporarily expands your blood vessels, it could help with the pump. It also makes your skin flush, makes it itchy, and can give you diarrhea. But, you know, people have suffered through a lot more than that to come. Anyway, the first pre-workout ever developed was called Ultimate Orange and was put on the market in the early 80s. Now, we're going to dig in a little bit on Ultimate Orange, which, incidentally, was my nickname in high school. It first came on the market in 1982, and people went fucking crazy for it. Those who used it claimed they could build muscles seemingly out of thin air, that they had increased focus, increased energy, the whole package. It also sounds like how people describe cocaine, but never mind that. It was huge in the workout community. It started. It was first released in uh, Venice, California in 1982. So that's like, you know, peak bodybuilding central. So you can see why they would, you know, get some use out of it. Um, it was really big in that community and the workout community, broadly speaking. But it was eventually banned after being linked to several cases of heart attacks in otherwise healthy adults. Specifically... It was banned because it contained something called ephedra. Ephedra is a compound synthesized from the plant ephedra sinica, which has actually been used in medicine for thousands of years. One thing that I found very funny from the Wikipedia page is the sentence, Native Americans and Mormon pioneers drank a tea brewed from other ephedra species called Mormon tea and Indian tea. They switched them. You know what I mean? Like, the way that they phrased it makes it sound like Native Americans called it Mormon tea and Mormons called it Indian tea. Like they got together and they're like, wouldn't it be just hysterical if we switched the names? <laughs> oh, the confusion it would cause. <laughs> which I find unlikely. Not the least of which because Native Americans certainly did not call it Indian tea. Um, if they wrote them in the same order, you would end it the sentence by saying respectfully, you know, like Native Americans, Mormon pioneers drank it you know, drank a tea called Indian tea and Mormon tea, respectively. So, like, what do you say when you switch them? Disrespectfully? I mean, it seems kind of fitting, to be honest. Anyway, 
ephedra contains ephedrine, which apparently can stimulate your nervous system, your lungs, and your heart. Seemingly a bit too much, judging from the the heart attacks. That, plus thousands of complaints to Metabolife, which is the company that sold the the best-selling ephedra supplement, uh, as well as the death of two professional athletes in the early 2000s, led to the eventual banning of the sale of ephedra, which meant that Ultimate Orange was taken off the market, although it was brought back a couple of years ago with a different formula. Um, Now, before we move on from it, I want to talk a bit about its creator. Now, I will preface this by saying, I found like I found the creator's name in one article and then I googled the name and found this guy who seemed very interesting but in none of the th- things like about this guy did they mention Ultimate Orange except for one article but it's like the exact same name and it's not a super common name and the odds of both of these people existing in the same space but having the same name but being two different people it's very unlikely you'll see what i'm talking about now ultimate orange was created by a gentleman by the name of dan duchene dan was a bit of what you might call a miscreant a 'er ne'er-do-well perhaps he's thought of as kind of a guru in the fitness world now a guru for what nutrition form posing you're close It's steroids. Our man Dan was a big fan of steroids. He wanted to become a bodybuilder, but was really bad at it. Um, And he convinced his doctor to prescribe him steroids. This was like the 70s. Um, So you could kind of just do whatever. You could prescribe cigarettes, I think. I think doctors were pretty much just slightly removed from also being barbers. So, you know, I don't know. 70s were a different time. But anyway, even though he was prescribed steroids... He had a really hard time putting on muscle. And so from there, he decided to look into steroids on his, lo- on his own and learned pretty much everything there is to know about, you know, injecting drugs into your ass, earning him the guru moniker. Now, he didn't just learn about steroids. Oh, no. After his first divorce, he was in the pits financially, and he ended up selling steroids to make some cash. Now, it started with a um, uh, sort of manifesto where he wrote about the benefits of steroids, um, which has become a very well-known and often cited document in the world of academia surrounding, you know, doping and athletics. Um, It was advertised in the back of a magazine called Muscle Builder, and people just ate it up. Eventually, you could buy it. You basically would send money to the magazine or to him directly, and you would receive this. It was like an eight-page pamphlet. So eventually, so many people were buying it, eventually he would send a price list of steroids along with the pamphlet. It was all done through the mail. And he really only got caught because someone opened one of the packages by accident, like someone who wasn't supposed to receive it, found steroids and reported it to the FDA. He did eventually get caught, but he definitely didn't make it easy on the feds. Um, Some of their files concerning his case have been released, and there's a couple gems in there, such as um, they're describing, like, you know, the surveillance they did on him, which, first of all, he, you know, for one thing, he listed his address as, like, whatever, 60 Saint-Jean, whatever. 
but it only went up to like 59 and they only realized it when they went and they found like an empty lot there, which is, you know, classic move. But this is, this is the quote that I really enjoyed. Um, Duchesne was followed to Polly's coffee shop at fifth and Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica. During the surveillance, it was apparent that Duchesne was surveillance conscious due to the fact that he one drove very slowly two made an erratic U-turn and proceeded to follow one of the surveillance vehicles for a while. Real game of uh, cat and mouse uh, switcheroo there. It's got to be pretty embarrassing as the uh, <laughs> as the FBI agents. Like, I don't know. These walkie-talkies back then were just like, ah, he's uh, he's behind us. Over. Let's just, I don't know. Let's pretend to go. <laughs> let's go to the beach and pretend we're not cops. <laughs> ah, he spent a few years in prison. Um, but, uh, wait a minute, did I, yeah, so one thing that I will say about him that I I didn't mention is that, like, when I say he sold steroids, I, I don't mean, like, he sold them, like, on the street, like, the way that your friend used to sell weed, you know what I mean? Like, he got involved with a, a pretty big like Mexican steroid smuggling ring and um, co-founded the, at the time, the biggest steroid production plant like on the black market in Mexico. So like this guy was like, you know, possession with intent to distribute, if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, he, he did get caught and he spent a... F- um, a few years in prison overall, but it didn't really seem to do much to deter him from his, uh, his business ventures. Um, originally he spent, he was sentenced to a couple of years in prison, but he only spent 10 months and then got out on probation. Um, he was released and pretty soon after got involved with a friend who was selling GHB, uh, which to be honest, I really had no idea people used it as a supplement. You know, like it feels a bit like taking ecstasy before working on your squats, but I don't know. Then again, I'm pretty new to the whole supplement game, so maybe they know something I don't. Maybe ecstasy and squats are a great combination. Now, unfortunately for Dano, our friend Daniel, one of their customers was actually an undercover FDA agent. Oops. And he was sentenced to another 36 months in jail. And when he got out, he said he learned to make money through more legitimate avenues, which, you know, of course, is usually how that goes in prison. You know, you uh, you go to jail for selling steroids and you come out and uh, you start a small business selling hockey cards. Definitely don't just continue to sell drugs. Um, now, uh, you know, taking all that into account, all the felonies, all the, you know, steroid use it's really hard to believe that such a guy would sell an unsafe product like ultimate orange it really really boggles the mind now ultimate orange isn't the only pre-workout supplement to be made illegal oh no Um, but just to give a bit more context before getting to those as i mentioned um, ultimate orange came out in the early 80s and we've kind of shot our way all the way up to the early to late aughts with ephedrine being banned i think ephedrine was banned in 2006 but in between then, starting in the 90s, um, other pre-workouts were being made. Um, and in 1993, the first uh, supplement for creatine uh, was made. 
available. Um, now, this is in 1993. Now, I'm sure most of you have at least heard of creatine, you know, maybe from your friend who wears sleeveless shirts out of season. Um, and I'm not going to get too in the weeds about what creatine is and what it does because honestly, I've read so much about different compounds and chemicals and hormones that, you know, my brain is starting to cook. So basically, creatine is a compound that is already in your body and helps with muscle growth. Creatine supplements increase the amount of creatine you have stored in your muscles and therefore help you build muscle. It's pretty straightforward. Creatine monohydrate is actually one of the best research supplements around and has, you know, actual proven benefits. Um, whether or not it needs to be in a pre-workout is a, sort of a separate conversation. But all that to say, up until the early 2000s, creatine was becoming kind of, you know, the go-to guy for supplements and became sort of a mainstay in, in pre-workouts. But when we get to the 2000s, though, things get a little bit dicey. Um, this is when stimulants started to make um, a comeback in pre-workouts in a real big way. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, Ultimate Orange wasn't banned in the 90s and some of these other ones weren't either. But as far as like the new ones coming out... Um, you know, you have brands like No Explode, which um, includes ingredients that temporarily di- temporarily dilate blood vessels, you know, similar to niacin a couple decades earlier. Um, but these supplements were like niacin on, well, steroids. Um, and others like Jacked or Jack 3 depending on how you read it, have ingredients that have been linked to multiple heart attacks and deaths, uh, which led to it being banned by the FDA in... 2012. The FDA is making a big appearance in this episode, I'll tell you. Real narcs. Um, So where are we at today? Well, there's a lot more choice these days. There's literally hundreds of options for pre-workouts with companies even releasing different variants of their formula to suit different needs. You know, you can have some that have a lot of caffeine and give you like a ton of energy. Some that have no stimulants, but have ingredients that supposedly help focus or recover better or feel a better pump. Um, You know, the fact of the matter is they're highly unregulated. So it's hard to tell what you're actually getting without taking the time to, you know, read the ingredient list and understand the proper doses for each one, which I mean, who even fucking cares? But, you know, uh, so you may have a supplement that has, you know, all kinds of great ingredients, but the actual amounts of each one are far below an effective dose. So it doesn't really do anything. Um, you know, it's it's mostly placebo and caffeine. I mean, the effects of a good portion of pre-workouts can be achieved by drinking a cup of coffee or, you know, eating a banana or something. But that's not nearly as fun. You know, a lot of brands seemingly rely on, like, marketing and endorsements while their ingredients don't really offer very much. Um, C4 is one of, if not the most popular pre-workout brands. Um, and that description fits them exactly. Now, did I buy C4 pretty much because of the marketing and because I heard the guy who I'm pretty sure is the guy who won the CrossFit games a bunch of times used it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, leading up to that, was I using a pre-workout I bought from the grocery store several years ago? Oh Yes. Uh, Did it expire in August? And I knew that, and I still used it, knowing it was expired. Well, I sure did. So when I say be careful with what you buy, and you don't need pre-workout at all, 
Uh, I'm basically a guy lighting up a cigarette while telling you you shouldn't smoke. Um, honestly, for me, it was kind of like retail therapy. You know, you ever just feel bored and kind of depressed and just start buying stuff? Yeah, I mean, I bought a knife sharpening kit. Uh, I've been looking at, <laughs> been looking at some anime T-shirts I might purchase. <laughs> you know, uh, I took advantage of Popeye's customer appreciation day, so now I have two containers of protein powder, one chocolate, one iced caramel macchiato. Uh, I have three containers of pre-workout, including the expired one, and a big jar of AMRAP, which helps with something somehow. I don't know. Tastes like Rocket Pops, and that's all I really care about. I'm enjoying it right now as we speak. I don't know if you can hear that. We're not afraid of a little ASMR on downsizing. That much you know. We're not afraid of a little bit of, uh, you know... little theater of the mind that last one was a uh fake severed ear that is currently on our fake fruit bowl in the middle of our table um (laughs) uh yeah okay uh one of the most insane ones i've come across is fucking mutant mass it's also the first one i came across and i almost bought it they advertise that one scoop which is a serving, contains as much caffeine as four and a half cans of energy drinks, which feels more like something a study highlighting the negative effects would say, not an advertisement. But then again, some of you are psychos who are walking around taking multiple scoops in one shot or just eating the powder without any water. So, you know, clearly, uh, you know, I'm out of my depth here. Uh, I don't mean to get all after school special on you here, but seriously, if you learned anything from the history of pre-workouts, it's that they can be incredibly dangerous and you really don't need them. At the very least, you should talk to your doctor and at the very, very least, you should research what the ingredients do and see if you can't get them from, you know, food sources, which is what you're supposed to be doing anyway. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the only pre-workout supplement you need is a positive attitude. (laughs) Sickening, I know. Uh, Now we're going to wrap things up, but I want to tell a quick story that is only tangentially related to what we've discussed. So it's like every other episode. Uh, So one thing about pre-workouts, and I believe a lot of protein powders as well, um, an issue is that they will list a lot of ingredients and they'll list the total milligrams of them all together in one serving, but not how much of each one there is. They just call it a proprietary blend, which means it could be 97% of one very meh ingredient and 1% each of a really good ingredient, but you have no way of knowing. Um, But the term proprietary blend reminded me of something that happened to me at my old job that is uh, maybe one of my favorite quotes of all time. So for a long time, very long time, I worked at 7 a.m. on Saturdays to prepare deliveries which is not ideal for a young socialite such as myself. But on this morning, uh, I think I didn't have very much to do. So I was kind of just walking around and there wasn't very many other people there because the store didn't technically open until 8 a.m. But one person was there was a guy named Logan. Shout out to you, Logan, if you're listening to this. Good to see you've taken a break from arguing about MMA on Facebook. 
Um, Logan was there early to mix paint because he worked in the paint department. And while I was walking by, he called me over and he was like, hey, have you ever had a five-hour energy? And I was like, no, why? He then lifted up the bottle and said, uh, I was reading the ingredients and the main one is just called energy blend and I'm kind of sketched out by it. But either way, I think I'm going to have to drink it. So then I said, oh, are, are you hungover? It wasn't uncommon. I mean, you have a bunch of people in their late teens to early 20s working on a Saturday morning. It just comes with the territory. Um, are you going to try to tell me you've never thrown up in the handicap stall at work? Well, I mean, <laughs> good for you, Mother Teresa. We can't all be fucking perfect. So anyways, I asked if he was hungover. And with all the gravity and seriousness of a man in a very serious predicament, he answered, Oh no, in an hour, I'll be hungover. I'm drunk. It's fantastic. I've never not gotten a kick out of that. Um, That's going to conclude this week's episode, folks. Thanks for listening. I think eventually I'm going to do an episode on protein powder as well, or protein supplements more broadly, um, because I came across some stuff researching for this episode that is truly horrifying. Uh, Until then... You can follow me on Instagram at excessively underscore Caucasian, or you can send me a cheeky little email at downsizingpod at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see if I'm sponsored by C4. So I'm coming day and night. They call it wacky dust. It's from a hot cornet. It gives your feet a feeling so breezy, and oh, it's so easy to get. They call it wacky dust. It brings a dancing jack. And when it starts, then only a sapple refuse to big apple or shake. Though I don't know just why it gets you so high, putting a buzz in your heart. You'll do a marathon, you'll want to go on, kicking the ceiling apart. They call it wacky dust. It's something you can't trust And in the end the rhythm will stop When it does then you'll drop From happy wacky dust